Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, joined, as always, every week by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. Matt, how are you doing this beautiful early summer? Now, I guess it's not early summer yet, but... but late I'm, spring? Late spring, I guess, yeah. In Texas, that line really blurs around this time of year. Once know? it starts getting to above 90 degrees during the day, I just call it summer and we'll, we'll say that it's good. Okay, sounds good. How are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm fantastic. Uh, I'm always happy to be here, roaming around the plains of Hyrule, stirring up some trouble with some moblins and bokoblins and occasional guardians, uh, opening up some shrines, towers, etc. You know, just generally getting into some shenanigans. Yeah, as they say. Oh, I love shenanigans. You know, this is a, this is, I think, a very magical night, Matt. It's always a magical night when recording night is always magical. Well, I think it, it's it's extra magical tonight. Oh, yeah. Do tell why. Well, uh, because as we sit outside recording this episode, a beautiful thing has taken place. My um, my my life partner, my wife, my spouse, my uh, the, the the beautiful tulip, who is the love of my life. Um, did you just call her tulip? My beautiful tulip. I'm going to have to tell her that one and see how she feels about it. Tulip's her favorite flower. I actually didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. Then, then I guess it's sweet. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. She uh, all of her of completely of her own accord. No prompting from you or I uh, on our way out to record this episode tonight. Uh, came to me and said, "Hey, babe, will you plug in the Nintendo Switch because I would really like to give that Breath of the Wild game a try." And so, as I live and breathe, um, my wife is currently exploring the Great Plateau while we are recording this episode. And it gives me the warm and fuzzies. You know, I feel good about this. It, as it should, Lyndon. As it should. It is a it is a great day in the spousal relationship of you and your tulip, which coming out of my mouth just feels weird. So I will not ever be saying it again. Yeah, I don't think that that's like. Yeah, I think you need to strike that from your from your lexicon in in yes. reference to anybody else's uh, relationship partner other than your own. I absolutely agree. It just, it felt odd and I never want to feel that way again. So, okay. We'll, we'll just continue moving. Well, I, don't, I don't want that for you either. Nope. We're just going to continue moving a pace. Cool. Meanwhile, she just texted me and said, why are you talking about me? So I'll let you uh, <laughs> handle that one. So uh, It's because we're proud. It's because we're so proud. Like I said, I'll let you handle that one. It's a big moment. I'll do that later. <laughs> well, Matt, we, of course, do have yet another chunk of Breath of the Wild to talk about today. Um, after a several-week-long stretch of uh, some, some really wonderful co-hosts, it is just you and I again tonight. You know, it's always uh, – we love our guests, our good friends, friends of the show – Real life friends in many cases. Uh, but there's something magical about just getting back to our roots, you know? I mean, we started this journey, just the two of us. We end every season. Actually, not every, we don't end it. We uh, Well, we end every... I don't think we have like a consistent like convention around whether or not it has to be just us ending the season. <laughs> well, we always do the last like dungeon section of just us. I guess like the, that's, I guess the that's Ganon true. castles and the, all that stuff. We, I think we've done those just us. I I'm not prepared to say whether or not you're right about that. My memory oh, yeah. does not stretch back that far. I know we originally our, our first 
uh, our first ending of a season. So the end of season one, the finale was just us, but that's because we didn't have to rank anything. Uh, but then after then, we've had uh, the detective on for the other ones so that we could get a tiebreaker vote. Oh, that's but, true. That's true. That tiebreaker vote has really been necessary. At absolutely points, so. necessary. For yeah. sure. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. It, it, it's definitely it's a good palate cleanser, I think, at times for it to just, you know, bring it back to basics. Just you and me talking about a section of the game. This one is one of the bigger sections of the game. We do have a, another divine beast to tackle today. It is uh, uh, marks uh, three quarters of the way through our divine beast quest. It does. Uh, and and at least for myself. Nah, no, not quite three quarters of the way. I forget there are 120 shrines, not 100. Anyway, disregard. But yes, three quarters of the way through our, I guess we could call it the main quest of the game, right? And then, you know, the yeah. rest of things being generally considered side quests and or exploration. Uh, so yeah, three quarters of the way through the main quest of the game. Still a lot of episodes to go, though. Like, there, we still have quite a few episodes you do have between to re- now and the end. Yeah, you do have to remember that we... Um we kind of created two episodes uh, out of thin air for this season. Um, we have the the uh, quest for the dragons and then also searching for the labyrinths. And um, I, I think that those two things, uh, I wouldn't say that they strictly had to be their own episodes, right? But there's just so many other loose ends to tie up within those episodes. That's the thing. Like, That's the like, thing. W- both of us are at, like, what, 70-ish shrines right now? Yeah. Like, there's 50 more to go, not including the Champions Ballads. Like, there's no way we're going to get to the end of that just by the end of the Divine Beast quest plus Gerudo Town and, and the other, like, main quest items, right? So, like, there's just yeah. so much of this game that we had to kind of throw in two episodes to say, uh, this gives us time to just dedicate to some shrine dive along with uh, some of the interesting parts and lore building of Breath of the Wild in general. And the right? thing, the, yeah, the thing about it was that we were trying to, we were saying like, okay, we really need to get two extra buffer episodes in here. What happens in this game that is interesting enough for us to get some kind of plot recap, you know, out right. of? Because we, we didn't want just two episodes dedicated to Lyndon and Matt go hunt for at least 20 shrines in this section of game, uh, because that would be, you know, while while exploration is fun, we dedicate such a large part of every episode to exploration that we needed at least a little bit of focus. Yeah, right? definitely. And at least for the dragons, you have those cool like the, uh, those the shrines s- that are associated the, yeah, with the springs getting the and what. Yeah, and yeah, their connection to Skyward Sword and yeah, I mean all, all the all the cool things. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think those are going to be great as well. But anyway, not one of those buffer episodes this week. We have a big a big old narrative heavy chunk of the game. So. Meaty. Pretty, meaty, one might say. Pretty meaty. Um, yeah, I think, man, do we have anything else we want to talk about before we kind of get into the housekeeping here? I don't think uh, I don't think we have any loose ends that particularly need to be tied up. Uh, no, not not Zelda related. Um, I think there's just like there's a lot of interesting things going on in just the general world of you know multimedia some really cool movies coming out dr strange multiverse of madness a lot of really good tv shows mm. you and i are both really into star trek strange new worlds and oh, uh, tying God. up the last season of picard or picard season two uh you know we're looking forward to at least i am uh trucking through painfully in some ways the halo series uh <laughs> there you know I've heard, I've heard that last episode is kind of rough it's literally so terrible God, I just wish I could wipe it from my memory, to be 100% honest. Good. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot going on. I think, uh, you know, Destiny's is is coming into a new season soon, which I know you've been working heavily on. Yeah, uh, um, end, of, end of May, I believe. I think we've got two or three weeks left as of this recording, and I have been doing um, a decent amount of work for that. So 
definitely, definitely very fun um, in my career at Bungie to be at a point now where the onboarding is behind me and stuff that I am working on is is making it into the game. Like that's a really fun time. Yeah, I, I think that there's just like a lot of exciting things in the general realm of fun nerd culture, multimedia gaming, you know, et cetera, that that's uh, keeping us interested and engaged in some other areas of our lives. So. I do have to say, because I know for a fact that we have Star Trek fans who listen to this podcast. Absolutely. And all of y'all know that Matt and I are big Star Huge Trek fans. Huge nerds. Tell you what, how about Strange New Worlds? Oh though, my right? gosh, dude. That first episode, I've watched it three times. Seriously? Uh, yeah. So dad and I watched it I've last watched night. watched it twice. Yeah. Right. Dad and I watched it last night. That was my third time. And like every time it's just so good. Uh, Anson Mount is just oh my gosh! You could not have picked a better Captain Pike yep. to be. And he was he was amazing in Discovery, and like I, his performance in Discovery alone made me excited for this show. And as more and more information kept coming out about the cast that they were having, the syndicated episodic style of show instead of the story driven of Discovery was just really scratching a trek nerd itch for me yeah i couldn't agree more and of course you know it's really cool because pike is as a legacy character you know it was going to be fun to see him um in a, in a show but even putting aside the fact that pike is a, is a character from the trek canon just in the in terms of like a trek captain just generally man he's awesome pike is awesome <laughs> he's awesome he's great and his whole crew is excellent too. i know i, I was ortegas was really awesome nurse chapel is a badass uh mbenga as the doctor was yeah. really fun um i'm very excited to see lieutenant sam kirk right which he, he had a throwaway episode of throwaway episodes in the original series well yeah the, he was a fried body. eggs yeah yeah he, he the, the it was the fried egg aliens yeah that were like the neuro cells like he got killed he got killed by them off before, screen before the start <laughs> of the episode i know it's hilarious yeah. so the fact that they like brought in this just rando character yeah. that was i uh, love it and he, ha- he so has a, he has a pretty good mustache in this show as it was, well it was pretty excellent i'm not gonna lie it's not as good as the detective's mustache no 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 mustache will ever compare to that of the detective mike the detective maker Wins i don't the mustache award i don't i don't know of a person with a grander mustache than you if you're listening to this episode absolutely so, yeah so anyway well, all that to say that you know we're very excited not only for our continued journey through breath of the wild but just it's a good time to be a nerd it just is a good time to be a nerd it really really is and just to put a pin in the whole star trek thing if you're a fan of star trek um and especially if you're a fan of star trek that feels that you've been missing some of that nostalgic classic vibe from the recent shows discovery and all those um strange new worlds is the best star trek series i think most people would say since like voyager and enterprise i think that it's so far my favorite new star trek series since deep space nine so i don't think that's fair. there's only been one episode like let's give it I would say let's give it at least a season before we start throwing around anything I'm letting my hype run wild I let it off the leash I I, I can tell it's running around my backyard it's digging holes like (laughs) it's it's bow wow off the leash in uh Link's Awakening it is it's It's just going ham it's devouring Moblin's hole you can't (laughs) stop it I, I am uh not even cautiously optimistic I am blatantly optimistic that this show will definitely take its its place in the in the realm of in the Mount Rushmore of Star Trek, let's say. Well, only time will tell, Matt. Only time will tell. 
But uh, it's going to be quite a long time before we have any concrete answers to that effect. Uh, it will not be a long time at all until we have some concrete uh, observations about this section of the Zelda game. So We're going to have a lot of those concrete observations coming up. That we are. So let's go ahead and get the housekeeping out of the way, dive right into it. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda, one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week we play a new section of a Zelda game. Then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are very greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod, where you can get access to listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and so much more. Uh, of course, one of those uh, benefits that we have on the Patreon is that Master Sword patrons and above get their names read weekly on the show. Those legendary individuals are... Ooh, we have a new name this week, Matt. Yay! We love new patrons. Thank you so much for supporting us in our endeavors to, you know, have a podcast. (laughs) Well, yeah, our successful endeavor, right? I mean, we have a podcast. I would say say it's a very successful endeavor, yes. Okay, cool. Uh, Those legendary individuals are Lennon, Leviticus, Melanie, Kolku, Rowan, Joshua, Nick, Hyrule Podcasters, Keep It Going Pod, Dante, Jep, Mary, Brittany, Davey, Haru the Mighty, Derek, Albert. Mark, Andy, Cameron, Tyler, Ben, Daniel, Nick D underscore TV, Travis, Christian, Jonathan, Max Nichols, Garrett, and Drew. Y'all rock. We could not make this show without your generous support. We are thrilled to have you along for the ride, as always. But without further ado, let's get into the Sacred Realms Rundown. That is, of course, our weekly segment in which we break down all the happenings of the world of Hyrule, talk about the section of game that we played. Uh, This week we are covering Breath of the Wild Chapter 8, which revolves primarily around our exploration of Elden Volcano, known also as Death Mountain, and our conquering of the divine beast Varudania. Part 1 is, as always, the plot recap, as read by... Matt. Well, Take at least almost Matt. always read by Matt. Almost always, yeah. I mean, uh, definitely I would say 80% of the time. Maybe even 85. We'll go with 85. Okay, that sounds fair. Take it away, Matt. As we take the sword that seals the darkness in hand, we head back out of the Lost Woods and towards the next Divine Beast. Two have been freed from the grip of the Calamity, but the Gorons in Death Mountain are still plagued by the shadow of Varudania. As we approach the foothills of Death Mountain, we come across the foothills stable, where a wonderfully helpful traveler tells us of the dangers of proceeding to the caldera without a fireproof solution. All the cooling meals we have made along the way mean absolutely nothing in the face of the scorching power of the active volcanic menace that we face. She agrees to sell us some fireproof elixirs, and we proceed up the mountain path towards the village of the rock people of Goron Village. Along the way, we fight a myriad of fire-based enemies and even some fully active guardians. We activate the tower that showcases the Death Mountain region and continue our journey. We eventually reach the Lower Mine, where a helpful soul agrees to lend us the fireproof chess piece that he wears in exchange for ten fireproof lizards. As we continue up the path, we slay an Igneotalus and encounter some more Goron friends. 
Finally, we reach the Goron village and enter there. Speaking to the Goron elder, we learn that Varudania has been ravaging the slopes of Death Mountain for a hundred years, spitting fire and molten rocks at random. We agree to help tame the beast, but the elder is suffering from intense back pains and cannot help us without his medication. He tells us to proceed to the northern mine to retrieve his medicine and the descendant of the ancient champion Daruk. Heading to the northern mine, we find impassable lava flows and lakes of molten rock that are littered with enemies. We use the Goron cannons that are littered throughout the region to help us along our path, and by doing so, come to the edge of the northern mine. We use a Goron cannon to blow open the sealed area and find there a Goron youth named Yunobu, who is cowering in the cave. He is the descendant of the mighty Daruk that we came to rescue, and he promptly heads back to Goron village to deliver the painkillers to the village elder. We head back and discover that the painkillers, while helpful, have not put the chief in a position to help us. So we head to the bridge of Elden with Yunobu in tow to tame the divine beast ourselves. As we approach, the beast releases a swarm of seeker drones to alert it to our presence so it can blast us with molten rocks. However, stationed along the path are cannons that we can use to blast Varudania with our good friend Yunobu's help. As a descendant of Daruk, he bears the unique ability of Daruk's protection, an impenetrable shield which allows him to be used as living ammunition in the cannons. As we proceed up the mountain path with extreme care, we blast the divine beast with Yunobo over and over again until the beast finally retreats into the very heart of the Death Mountain caldera. From there, we use our glider and our flame-resistant armor to board Varudania. Within, just as within the other divine beasts, we find a labyrinth of puzzles and activation consoles. Using the controls for Va Rudania, we maneuver it around 90 degrees at a time to access all the consoles and gain control of the beast. The heat from the caldera is stifled within the beast, but stepping outside uh, the confines of its walls puts us at extreme risk. After a hot and grueling trial, we finally activate all the needed nodules and gain control of the Divine Beast. But just as before, when we head to the main control unit to activate it, a Blight of Ganon appears to face us in combat. Fire Blight Ganon is a fierce opponent who 100 years ago defeated Daruk to gain control of the Divine Beast. We engage this Blight in battle in the very depths of the Caldera of Death Mountain. It uses a massive axe and a huge explosive energy weapon to try to defeat us, but ultimately our prowess in battle proves too much for this shade of the Calamity, and it falls before us. As we move to reclaim the Divine Beast, the spirit of Daruk appears before us, just as the other champions have before. He tells us in his usual bro honcho manner how proud he is of us and imparts on us the gift of Daruk's protection. This gift is, like Yunobo's, an impenetrable shield that will deflect damage back upon our enemies whenever used, and gratefully we accept it. Once the gift is imparted, we are sent back to the Goron village and the Divine Beast takes up its rightful place upon the edge of Death Mountain, ready to do its part against the calamity that plagues Hyrule. When we reach the village, the chief and Yunobo are there to greet us. They impart not only their thanks, but Yunobo pledges to uphold the nobility of his lineage and live up to the line of Daruk the champion. 
The chief also gives us the ultimate gift of friendship by imparting us the weapon of Daruk, the boulder crusher. Taking these gifts, we head away from the scorching wasteland of Death Mountain and off to the east towards the Akala region to find the next ancient lab and more tools to help us fight off the plague of the Calamity along our journey. And that brings us to part two, which is our takes in which we talk about this section of the game uh, and how it made us feel in a general fashion. Matt. Uh, let's go ahead and, uh, do some homework. How's that sound? Uh, you know, I don't like homework, but I like this. Homework. Well, you already did it. You just, have I know to I like, it. I like this homework. You know, it's good homework. Matt, I'm gonna let you go first. What, is, what does your worksheet say? The worksheet says many things, Lyndon. Give me one second while I finish this quote tweet for our Twitter. Okay. Wonderful. Which by the way, if you don't follow us on Twitter, go do that, please. Uh, we, uh, post some good stuff every once in a while. Uh, some polls, you know, just interesting tweets. Uh, and uh, if you haven't done so, a five star on Apple Podcasts would be super great. Uh, so we keep getting that uh, that bump up in popularity and uh, visibility. Uh, this is a really fun show. We love having you guys along for the ride. And the more of you there are, the better it is. But as far as what my worksheet says today. Starting point for both of us, I believe, uh, from the Master Sword pedestal uh, to the, uh, I mean, technically the ending is Varudania, but of course we get teleported off of Varudania and end up uh, back in Goron City face to face with the Elder. Yeah, and I've actually been incorporating the um, getting the the weapon of the champion. As did I. Yeah, so like I... I, I, Give me that boulder crusher. Yeah, I have not been like saving and quitting the game as soon as I land back in the village. I've, you know, I've gone. No, dude, you gotta go get the boulder crusher or else you might forget. Yeah, no, and that would be... be a shame that's actually probably the most uh useful of all the oh dude it's versatile yeah that you get beyond versatile yeah it's awesome i think the only the only argument against it could be uh would be for um for um urbosa's Urbosa's sword and and shield and that's only because you get a sword and shield right which is really cool yeah um no so yeah that would be our ending point would be uh grabbing boulder crusher from the hut of the goron elder uh so route taken i went uh from the lost woods i just went ahead and teleported back to the woodland uh uh the woodland tower and uh down through the foothills um because i know from experience that trying to go straight from the woodland tower up the hill to death mountain directly results in you burning alive i did not do that uh instead i actually took the circuitous route through the foothills of Death Mountain, over to the stable, talked to our wonderful, helpful little friend who gives you the uh, tip about fireproof potions. Uh, went from the woodland stable, or sorry, the foothills stable, and just took the mountain path all the way up. Fought a couple guardians, uh, killed a lot of fire keys. Uh, general, the, what are those? Uh, the blob chews, uh, fire chews. Uh, lots of you know, just trash mobs, right? All the way up, uh, up to Goron City. Uh, killed a couple Ignea taluses while I was up there or, or along the path. Uh, then you know you have to go all around through the fire lakes, uh, Lake Darunia, Lake Goro, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, yeah, killing all the things, blowing up shit with uh, cannons. Uh, and then over to uh, back to the Elden Bridge around that path through that. Just the side quest, the stealth side quest. Well, it's not really a side quest. It's, the, it's not no, right. The stealth quest to the escort, escort mission. The, oh God, I you know how I feel about escort missions. The escort mission for Yunobu, and uh, and then into Varudania. <clears throat> so that was uh, kind of my general route taken. Uh, Shrine count is seventy two. 
So uh, getting up there. Uh, definitely not up to uh, three quarters of the way, but we're getting up there. Uh, and I have 75 Korok seeds at the moment. Mm, nice. So I'm I'm definitely slowing down on the Korok seed hunt now because I, I actually have like a good amount of inventory slots for all of my things, right? Like I can hold two full rows of bows, two full rows of shields, and like four full rows of melee weapons. So like I just don't generally feel a need for more Korok seeds past this point because I have enough weapons and, and shields to just keep it going at this point. So like I don't think the Korok seeds are going to be a, an a integral part of any of the rest of my playthrough because I'm, I'm at a pretty good spot. Nice, nice. Uh, yeah, so I think I actually took the same route as you did. Did you say that you, so you said you took the cir- cir- circuit, circuitous, circuitous route. I don't know if I'm saying that right. No, but you, like are, you are, you are, you okay. are. Um, so I think I did the same thing as you where you actually, you take the horse trail that leads you sort of back down towards Lanayru Tower. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, because I really thought there was a more direct route to the foothills stable. Actually, no, I, I didn't. I didn't go all the way. I didn't go that far south. So I went. I did stick on the you know unbeaten or the 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 path less traveled. Right. So you can go from the the woodland tower to the um outs not the outskirts stable. What's that? Is that a woodland stable? Well, so there, yeah, so there's the woodland stable, which is by the forest you know what? tower. I have my, I have my switch right here, so I could, you know, just. Open but the that one, up the one where you get the fireproof potions is the foothill stable, right? And that's where I went. And I'm just remembering, so I didn't go all the way down to like Lanayru Tower. I went, uh, I just went down the woodland tower down to the woodland stable, which is a little south. It, it's like directly south of that, not very far. And then if you go straight like east. You hit the foothills. It's like literally on a straight line east. And I didn't take the whole horse path all the way down south, down to the, the end of that peninsula thing. Um, I just went straight across, you know, the un, untraveled territory. Um, I was actually looking for shrines in case I could see any. I didn't see any, but I didn't have I don't know if there are any there. I didn't have my shrine map open for this section of the game because I, I felt like I was a pretty good place with shrines. Yeah. So I just went straight east to the uh, to the foothill stable. Okay. Gotcha. So what I did is I, I headed east from Korok Forest back to the Woodland Stable and then proceeded on horseback southeast to the lower Elden Canyon. Uh, and the, the way that that works is you take the horse road that takes you basically back to Lanayru Tower. And Lanayru Tower is basically at the junction of Lanayru region and Akala region. Mm-hmm. But the road that goes north from Lanayru Tower actually never goes into Akala. It skirts Eldon Canyon as it comes back up towards Death Mountain. Um, and so the foothill stable is basically directly north of there. Right. So you, so you basically skirted the western edge of Upland Zorana. Yes, I did. Yeah. I, I, I basically I, I followed the border of the Eldon region. I, I followed its entire south border all the way back around gotcha. and then back north um yeah. and and yeah i was i was feeling a horse ride and catching some scenery i actually really like the Elden canyon scenery it's really striking For there's sure. a, there's a few cool shrines in there um and and yeah you know i just i felt like taking the scenic route so i came to the foothill stable also got my fireproof potions there uh went north into the maw of death mountain arrived at Elden tower climbed up death mountain path towards goron village um and then went to the abandoned north mine the bridge of Elden, and finally to divine beast varudania yep my shrine count was 67 you beat me two weeks in a row yeah let's go towers activated it was just Elden tower uh, and yeah, that's what I've got. I'm, you know, you know, I'm not keeping track of my Koroks, but I know for a fact that you're you're kicking my ass in Korok seeds. I there was like one week where I got like thirty 
in a week. And there's just like random things that I would run across. And I was like, there's probably a Korok under that. And like would just lift up a rock. Like, ah, cool, Korok. Or I'd see something (laughs) that was like, if I throw a rock in there or throw myself in there, I'll get a Korok seed. Uh, So yeah, like there was just some of that stuff that I've just lucked into a lot of Korok seeds Mm kind of early on in the game. Yeah. So one thing I like about this whole section of the game, just from an aesthetic standpoint, is that we've got a lot of terrain here that's very different from what we've seen before. The foothills of Death Mountain um, are are very beautiful, but they've got a a big, um, I don't know, they've got a big like kind of Rocky Mountain National Park in summer vibe, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, It's really beautiful scenery. we're we're kind of moving eastward towards the Akala region. We can see it in the distance this entire time. So you've got that cool backdrop of like all the red trees and foliage that are in Akala, um, which is always really fun to look at. So, uh, yeah, I, I really like the way that all the scenery looks here. Um, obviously, things get just a little bit more arid and uh, um, a little bit more fiery as we climb Death Mountain, you know, and, which is to be expected. But And I, I really appreciate – so one of the things that I've always kind of has been a little throw – has always thrown me off a little bit, at least about some the other Zelda games that I've played, is there there is normally very little – transitional topography between um whatever area you're in leading into death mountain right like specifically ocarina of time like you leave kakariko village and it is immediately just volcanic rock yep no shrubs like fire brimstone death um here you do have a very gradual, especially if you like skirt the the very edge of the foothills all the way. Like if you stick along the the southeast edge of the the Death Mountain foothills, which kind of border uh, the the Lost Woods area, and if you stay kind of below the ridge line before you get into any lava, there's still like a decent amount of arid uh, arid topography shrubs and. Yeah. and and trees right like there's there's that is a unique but very small microclimate right that i think was very well done and it's it's still a you know small area of map all things considered in the grand scheme of the map of breath of the wild Mm. but it is unique and you know almost immediately once you're getting into that region you're like oh i'm getting a little close to death mountain because the 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 trees are more stunted some of them don't even have leaves they don't look like burned but they definitely look dry and like it's it's very well done and and we haven't actually gotten to this section yet i feel like we'll probably i'll I'll probably explore this as part of the akala episode Mm -hmm. but um the back slope of death mountain has a lot of this too right and it all but it even does it better where it it actually combines the wetland of Zora because it's it's on the border, uh, the northern border of Zora's domain kind of hits this area. So you get this weird like hot springs looking thing yeah. that's over there behind like to the east of the the foothill stable. There's Cephala, there's Cephala Lake. And then like to the north is like Broca Island. And then to the east of Broca Island is where you get the mountain range between Death Mountain and Akala. And then, you know, on the other side of that is is the very unique Akala region. But like it's that little border area is very different from the border area that is on the <laughs> western side of Death Mountain. Yeah, it's definitely a much more a much more natural uh, progression of like topography and weather and scenery than for instance the so breath of the wilds map generally does this really well right where one area transitioned into another very naturally right the one place where it's kind of weird is you can be if you're at the serene stable which is the one that's over to the west of hyrule castle Mm -hmm. 
Uh, so if you if you just if you strike out straight west from Hyrule Castle and walk off towards the Hebra Mountains in the distance, yeah. eventually you're going to come to Tanagar Canyon, yep. and it's all it's all pretty and lush grass and perfectly warm and nice. <laughs> and but, then Canyon, but then on the exact other side <laughs> of the canyon, it is just. Boom ice. <laughs> yeah, and it's like it, it, it's at a pretty similar elevation too. Right. So there's not a, like, there's not a drastic elevation change there at all. So but it's like you go across this canyon and boom, death ice. And you're like, like, wait, what? It's like, whoa, hold on, hold okay, on. okay. But with Death Mountain, you you get a very natural progression of like, okay, the weather here is nice and temperate, and then the further I go up, the hotter it gets, um, as it should be, as we're you know climbing climbing towards the caldera of volcano. an active volcano. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I really like it. Um, uh, so, yeah, just from a scenery standpoint, I think this is a really fun section of the game. But I, I also find that there is just a lot of stuff to really explore and dig into um, in this in this region, much more so than there, than there is in Hebra, really. Um, even once we get up onto Death Mountain, I mean, it, it's a very um, monochromatic landscape in the same way that the Hebra Mountains are, obviously in very different ways. The Hebra Mountains are all white and ice. And right, but these are all fiery and yeah, right. stone and metal. Yeah, there's not there's not really a, a, a variety of landscape on Death Mountain, but I think that Death Mountain itself um, it's so immense that it's got it's got so many more interesting nooks and crannies to explore up there, you know? Yeah, the whole Fire Lakes region, you know, with Lake Darmon, Darunia Lake, um, Golo River, uh, you know, just like that whole area where they're the the northern abandoned mine, right, is is kind of that within that region as well. But it, it's so much more than that. There's some really cool um, paths to explore. Um, you've got your mine cart track that you can go along to hit uh, a shrine at the end on the Isle of Rabak. And if you go west of there, you've got that Igneotalus and the in the quest that you can get in the Goron City. Mm, yeah. But then even like I, I even went north all the way to the edge of the map, to the Elden Great Skeleton, to the Elden Flank and the Gut Check Rock. Like I went and looked at all of that nice, too. Nice. Because like that's a really cool area and it's it's very interesting. There's a definite line where you are on fire and then as soon as you go like two steps forward, you are no longer on fire. Right. So like right. there's a weird line there that doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but, um, and that whole backside, you know, the North side of the death mountain, uh, slopes the, where the Elden great skeleton is and the Elden's flank, like that whole side is also really cool and has, and is very unique and it's got different kind of topography, shrubbery, you know, flora, fauna, etc. Um, it's all, it's really fun. And I yep. think, um, the usage of water in this area as like the boiling hot springs was really cool because it would kill you by the way. I know. And it's like, it's really interesting that they made the decision to not only have this place full of lava, but also, Hey, there's some water in there just, just for fun. Yeah. Like, Whoa, yeah. that's really cool. And this is actually a cool callback. I think this was done for the first time in twilight princess. I think actually, right. actually that's a lie. Um, there, there are healing hot springs in the um, snow, snow, snowhead region of Termina. You are absolutely right. There are, yeah. But in Hyrule for the first time in Twilight Princess, yeah, the hot springs so at, on in Death the Mountain Goron City would yeah. heal you, and they do here as well, which is always really fun. Um, I want to talk real quick about the actual ascent up Death Mountain and the fact that, like you were saying before, 
um, the environment is so there are other places in the game where if you're not wearing the right clothes or if you don't have the right like potions you're drinking or whatever, then you gradually lose health. Like if you're in Gerudo Desert, for instance, you get really hot and you like starts and you get like heat exhaustion and, and you're you'll like, and you, yeah, and you'll lose like yeah. a quarter of a heart every five to ten seconds. Yeah, I think not, if you, not bad, right? Like, yeah. But this is very much like you are on actual fire. You're losing half a heart like every second. It's like, boom. But, yeah, but it's it's intense. And so what I wanted to ask you about is uh, clearly you and I both did this the same way where we we overcame this by way of the fireproof elixirs that you can buy from the woman at the foothill stable. Right now, that's the only way that I've ever done this. I, I, I actually don't think there is another way to do it. There's got to be this is in I, Breath of the Wild. There's got to be it's so, too it's too easy not to come to Foothill Stable. So that was actually one of the things that I wanted to talk about in like my other notes on my worksheet here is like. At least in my opinion, and please correct us if we're wrong on Twitter or Instagram or, you know, on our Patreon. But like of the three times that I have played through this game, I have never found a way to circumvent the need to get fireproof potions from the foothills or from the foothill stable. Because you don't come to the the guy who gifts you fireproof armor until you come to the third marker, which is where the Goron miners are. And you spent a, and by the time you get there, you have spent a hot minute actively on fire. Well, and the only piece of armor you get from that guy too is the helmet. No, he gives you, uh, he gives you the chest piece. He won't give you his helmet. That's the only one he won't oh, give you. Oh, really? Yeah, he gives you his uh, chest piece. Well, I bought the chest piece and the legs from the shop in Goron Village because I thought that guy gives you the nah, helmet. Nah, dude, he, that's the only thing he won't give you. He gives you the chest piece. Man. All right. Well, I guess I have to go buy the damn helmet. I, I never buy the helmet because you don't need it. There is there is no well to complete the set. I mean, right? But there's no section of any part of Death Mountain or Varudania where you need all three pieces. No, two armor pieces will do it. Yeah, exactly. Or one armor piece and a flame flameproof potion if you're just like are skimping on rupees. Like yeah. that, that's possible. So like I, I and that's actually in my notes here is like this is actually probably environmentally the most difficult area. To survive if you follow a non, I don't want to say canon path, but like a non scripted path, maybe is that, is that I don't know if that's the right word I'm looking for. But like, well, I think if you follow any path other than the one that they are kind of setting up as the way that you are maybe supposed to go. Right. In which you get those fireproof elixirs. Yeah. Uh, because like you you can come to other characters within the death mountain region that will also give you fireproof potions but all of them are well past the barrier of the point in which you catch on fire like there is no there is no way to go from elden tower to um the goron mines like in the goron hot springs where you can get uh those flameproof potions without actively being on fire for a long period of time yeah definitely so I'm trying to I'm looking up a few links on Google real quick. And of course, all of them are mentioning like, hey, just go to the stable and get those fireproof elixirs. Right. Yeah. And and I'm actually looking at my map now where I have marked a couple um, interesting points. So like from Elden Tower, if you go any further north or west of Elden Tower without going south. So if you go, if you go straight west, you will catch on fire. If you go north, you'll catch on fire. If you go west or east, you're generally going to be OK. In order to get to the southern mine, which is where the guy is who will give you fireproof armor if you bring him 10 lizards, uh, that is a significant stretch of road where you will also have to fight an Igneotalus. So, like, you have to go through a decent chunk of time 
uh, to get there. Like, I guess theoretically you could go like if you were just absolutely hell bent on not going to the foothill stable for whatever reason, you could like glide yourself over to there's some hot springs that are uh, north and west of Elden Tower, kind of in between uh, Elden Tower and the Southern Mine that I don't know if they'll actually extinguish the fire on you or not and heal you. But I guess like theoretically you could do that. But man, that's just like you're just punishing yourself at that point. Yeah. I mean, just go to the foothill stable and get fireproof potions. I'm looking at a few like Reddit links and whatnot. And everyone is saying, get the fireproof elixirs or you just have to like eat constantly your entire way up the mountain. Yeah. No, it's, 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 that sounds, that sounds like a pain. Yeah. I (laughs) I don't want to do that. So go to the foothill stable and get your fireproof potions. But like that leads me back to my point of like, this is really the most environmentally challenging section of this game that has very little signposting to tell you where to go. Like, Generally speaking, in every other region we've been to, specifically Hebra, right, which is where I think it's really the only other place that we've been to so far that has a similar environmental uh, issue because we haven't been to Gerudo Town yet. But Hebra region directs you pretty much straight to um, Rito Village where you buy uh, the Rito clothing, which protects you from the cold. So like there is significant signposting to lead you where you're supposed to go for your cold gear. And if I'm remembering the Gerudo village, you know, connection correctly, there's a, there's like the Oasis village where you can buy the, the desert Va or the desert Vo armor. Yeah. And like, that's, obviously helping you with the heat resistance before you get into Gerudo village where you have to get the, well, and the thing about Gerudo desert too, is that as long as it's night, you can traverse without needing heat resistant armor. Right. So, and it is, it is very important to mention that heat resistant potions and such do nothing for you. here. They do nothing for you here. So the stuff that will help you in Gerudo, uh, like, I think you can use like cool Saflina and whatnot Mm -hmm. to make, or just equip like an ice weapon. Yes. Or, or even like eating frozen meat. Right. None of that helps you literally at all. No, it will do nothing for you. So yeah, that's, that's fool's gold. Don't, uh, don't rely on that to get yourself up Death Mountain, get the fireproof elixirs. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think that this is definitely the most like um, there are very firm requirements around what you have to do to easily get to Goron Village if you're heading up that way. And I really love that about this because like it's supposed to be the most extreme area in all of Hyrule. Like, yes, it is very intentionally. I mean, it's a freaking active volcano with lakes and rivers of lava surrounding it. Like you don't go up here if you're not ready for it right like there's a reason the people that inhabit this region are literally made of rocks yes exactly like, and they, they and they eat them they eat them they do eat them and nom, they nom, 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 nom. yeah they apparently love just like chilling out in lava yep cool Which, you know good for them good for them yeah appreciate that um so yeah definitely environmentally that's i think the, the the biggest thing of note in this whole section but there's a lot of fun stuff that we do in this section of the game that we don't really do anywhere else in breath of the wild um i I'm willing to go out on a limb and say that I, previous to this playthrough, I, I think I look back on the Death Mountain section as my least favorite Divine Beast area of all of them. Mm-hmm. And this time around, I, I just found a lot more to love about it. I um, had a lot more fun just palling around the Death Mountain area, yeah. for sure. But but even the stuff that kind of gets you through the Divine Beast quest, I mean, we'll talk about the escort mission later, but the stuff where you have to, like, go find Yunobo in the abandoned North Mine. Those cannons. Yeah, I, I really like the cannon mechanic. Um, it's so fun because um, 
I, I just love blowing up like huge Lizalfos towers and whatnot. Dude, that was so you much know? fun. It's I like, love that. Uh, it's a great, great time. And and there's the one part where you can blow up the skull that they're all hanging out in. There's like a group yeah. of Lizalfos and like Moblins in there. Yeah. That apparently the Moblins are heat resistant naturally or something. And I don't you know. can just nuke yeah, it. Yeah, you just nuke it from afar and you just walk in there and like pick up all of their stuff. If all it their hasn't, crap, yeah. If it hasn't burned by the point you get over there. And also there's like, there's a chest in there with like a royal bow. Like, Pretty good stuff. Which it, was it, actually my, the first royal bow that I've found in this playthrough dude, so far. I have like 10. Uh, like my entire inventory is royal bows. Really? Yeah. Let me actually, I think I have, I'll look at it right now. I've got other royal stuff. I've got like the royal broadsword and the like I, the spear. I've I have got other six, royal things. But. I have six royal bows, one, li- one savage lionel bow, one forest dweller bow, and one mighty lionel bow. How, how many of those bows did you pick up in Hyrule Castle? Like one. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I don't know, dude. Like, and honestly, I got at least three of them from various shrines in this section as well. Well, you are ahead of me on shrines, but I guess, <laughs> I guess, like the seven shrines that you that you've hit that I have not hit all, all give, give me royal, royal bows. bows. <laughs> yeah, dude, I just I'm like swimming, <laughs> and three out of the six are the up durability royal bows too. So like nice, they're gonna last nice, me nice. for a while. Yeah, um, I actually I've been upgrading my bow slots lately because I've been finding better and better ones, and I've been not wanting to break the times five savage lionel yes, bow that i have dude oh you have a times five one I that's times awesome five. i have a times five a forest dweller bow and a times three savage lionel bow but yeah dude that's that times five savage lionel bow is legit you know what's better so than good. shooting one bomb arrow matt <laughs> shooting five <laughs> bomb arrows yeah or- i also even though i'm not using them in this playthrough shooting five ancient arrows at a time is Nuts the most out, yeah. ridiculous yeah. OP strategy in the entire game. Yeah. It's re- it's nuts. It's in- it's incredible. So yeah, if you get that times five Savage Lionel bow, you hang on to that for really big. But yeah, for sure. Like when you go fight Ganon, you just immediately <laughs> chew through him with five <laughs> right. times five bomb arrows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I th- I think a lot of the a lot of the puzzles um that are kind of contained in this section are a lot of fun. Um, I don't know that I love a lot of the NPCs that we meet in this area. I was actually going to say this is the weakest NPC area in the game, I think. Like, you know, nothing against Yunobo. I get kind of what they're going for here, but yeah. I definitely can't say that I enjoy Yunobo's company as much as no. Sidon or no. Tiba or... <laughs> no, like, I, I totally agree. And I think, I, I generally think nothing against the Gorons. I, I actually kind of like the Gorons for what they are. Like, you know, they're just the bro. They're they're the they're the very chipper personality. Yeah, they're the helpful gym bros. Right. They're the they're the ones that are going to spot you for free and just like tell you you're doing great, even if you're struggling with just the 45 pound bar. Like they're they're the helpful gym bros that are just going to like encourage you and lift you up. Right. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that very much. But also, like, I can only take so much of that before I'm like, okay, guys, let's all let's all just. Tone it down for two seconds, please. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about the story that we are kind of presented with here, um, because it's the same as we have in most of the other main areas of the game. We have a town that is being terrorized by a nearby divine beast, and uh, and so the main quest revolves around us trying to quell the divine beast and restore peace and um, and whatnot to mm-hmm. the to the nearby town, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, in that in that sense, it's very similar to what we've done before. Um, this one, I think, has got a much more extended quest to actually get to the Divine Beast than a lot of the other ones do. I know that, uh, you know, the process of getting to 
Va Meadow, for instance. Once you get to Rito Village, it's pretty short. All you have to do is talk to one person and then go do the flight range thing. And then bada bing, bada bang, you're flying with Tiba to get onto Va Meadow, right? Right. Um, and it's kind of similar in uh, in Zora's Domain, give or take a fight with a Lionel on a mountain, right? Right. But with this one, it's very much like, okay, you've got to traverse quite a large chunk of Death Mountain in order to first find Unobo. Then once you find him, you have to go talk to the Elder. Then you've got to climb Death Mountain with Unobo um, in order to shoot the cannons at Varudania um, and, until finally you're actually at the at the lip of Death Mountain Crater, and then you can get into the Divine Beast. So there's right. there's a large area that we're traversing in order to get to the level here. For sure. It's it's definitely the most extended quest. Also, I think that the Gorons are in the most significant and immediate danger of any of the other races we've come across that are dealing with uh, a, a divine beast on the run, right? Like, Va Meadow is just kind of up there screeching every once in a while. So, annoying, for sure, but and I not guess, like... I guess the Zoras were having to deal with, like, the, the slightly existential future problem of like maybe in uh, maybe in a decade this flooding will kill us all yeah like, although it won't kill them and we'll basically just be back at uh wind waker hyrule where everything's underwater and like honestly if you're a zora that sounds like paradise right, so like exactly uh, but and then you, you i mean obviously in, in gerudo town it, it's definitely a problem to have a constant sandstorm that is generating tons of lightning, but it's sticking pretty far away from the populated centers. Right. right? Yeah. Whereas for these Gorons, Varudania is like literally right above them and just spews out cataclysmic spew, uh, spouts of uh, dangerous volcanic rock that explodes upon impact. Yeah. Like, and I feel even, like that's a little bit more pressing of an issue. And they even tell you that it's like it's disrupting their livelihood, like they are unable to mine right now right which is both their source of food and their main source of income so like yeah pretty pretty rough pretty big deal for the gorons pretty rough time for sure um it is cool too because even though i will say that um va rudania is not my favorite divine beast it does feel much more proximate to the main area than some of the other divine beasts do Mm -hmm. like you look up the mountain and it's just like climbing around you you can see it like it and it's and it's not like you can see va meadow from pretty much anywhere on the map, right? But, like, Varudania is, like, right above you, and you're like, that thing will literally just spew some molten rock at me any minute, and I don't know, like, is that going to kill me or what? Yeah. Although I will say that when they when those volcanic rocks explode, a lot of times they explode and drop uh, precious uh, stones. Oh, do they? Yeah, so, like, on the on the way up there, Yonobo, being annoying as he is, did not stay put where I told him to stay put, got spotted by one of those little watchers, and we got showered by some volcanic rock, uh, but I got two rubies, a sapphire, and a diamond out of it. So, like, you know, it wasn't too mad. So let's talk, ab- let's talk about one of our favorite things that happens in any video game, which is the escort, escort missions. Quest. Yeah. <sighs> So, yeah, uh, in order to actually get to Varudania, we have got to accompany Unobo up the mountain, or rather he accompanies us. Um, he, <laughs> he he is kind enough to offer himself as living ammunition. Yeah, that is true. He, he is pretty cool with that. Yeah. yeah, like literally he rolls himself up into a ball and then we shoot him out of cannons at the Divine Beast. And then so, he bounces off, gets some stars around his head and says, yeah, that was fun. Let's do it again. And I'm like, dude, OK, whatever you say, let's yeah. keep going. But I, I think um, this is a... a 
this is an escort mission with some stealth mechanics. As we're trying to climb up the mountain to get to the Divine Beast, the Divine Beast deploys a defense mechanism, which is surveillance drones. And those have got like a very um, – I'm trying to think of other games that have kind of done this, like where they have like little cones of light. And if you step inside of them, then alarms go off and then – so you th- get barraged by flaming rocks. This heavily reminds me of the escort mission in Skyward Sword, also in the oh, Elden right, region. Right, right, right. Also with spotlights yeah. and the, the stupid you, little robot guy. Where, where we have to get Scrapper to the yeah, yeah, gotcha. No, this this like flashbacks and not the good kind uh, to that mission. Uh, I think honestly, I, I don't want to say it's like a direct copy and paste because it's not exactly, but it's more or less the same quest the thing that always kind of kills any area like this is that if the ai is is dumb (laughs) and is is like actively working like you're doing your best work but unobo is like getting caught anyway you know oh absolutely it's really frustrating and unobo's ai is not the best there are i I can think of examples in zelda games that have done this a lot better when we get to wind waker i don't want to like pre you know, I don't want you to be prejudiced against Wind Waker before we get into it, but the there are two dungeons in the back half of the game, and each dungeon has a different escort character that you have for the entirety of the dungeon. And it's a little bit like the way that Ruto works in Jabu Jabu's Belly. Yeah. Except they're more useful than Ruto is there. <laughs> yeah, because Ruto is literally just a sack of potatoes. Yeah. yeah. And, and in those two dungeons, we'll talk about that when we get to that sometime in the future. But it's actually done really well because it's uh, one dungeon, you have a Rito character, and in the other dungeon, you have a Korok character. Right. And they're with you, and they provide, like, abilities in the dungeon that you use to, well, that's fun. to puzzle solve. And that's actually a really good way to do this. And this is definitely not in that category. It's a little frustrating. Um, it is fun because there are enough uh, there are enough things laying around the environment that make it easy for you to take out those surveillance drones. Like yeah. if you if you're having trouble in this area, I would say your best bet is to get elevation and look for a a metal thing that you can magnesis and just throw around. Yeah, things. you can drop metal boxes on those surveillance drones. They kill them in one hit. So. You don't even have to drop them. You just hit. You just tap them with it. Okay, and they die. And then it's pretty, cra- it's yeah. pretty great. Yeah, and so that's and so that's fun. And I would highly recommend doing that. I'm not going to say that this was not a fun thing to do. I just don't think that it's the most fun thing to do <clears> in this game. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So that is that is the quest to uh, to get into the divine beast. Honestly, Marudania. going to get. Going to get Yonobu when he's trying to get the painkillers for the boss was far more fun than the escort mission part. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Let's go ahead and get into part three, which is this week, the dungeon map. Because we do have a divine beast to talk about, of course, we will get around to uh, shrine diving and mention some excellence in shrine design as well, because Matt and I, uh, Matt and I, we, we came across one that we both love quite a lot in this section. So for sure, we'll talk about that, too. Let's talk about the divine beast Varudania. So lay it down for me, Matt. Where are you at with the Divine Beast of Arudania? Um, you know, I didn't hate it as much as I remember. Well, 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 actually, why don't we start it off this way? Why don't you tell me where you felt like you would place it between the other two Divine Beasts that we've uh, done Definitely, so definitely not as good as the other two, for sure. You like it less than Va Meadow? Yes, definitely. Okay. I, I mean, I think Va Meadow is the best one, besides, at least of the ones that we've done so far. I personally, at least just from memory, personally think that uh, Von Naburu, Naburis, 
Vonnaboris, yeah. Yeah, Vonnaboris is the best one. I, I'm curious if my recollection serves me well here, but um, I, I like Von Meadow. I think Von Meadow is very short and easy. I think Varudania has even less sophisticated puzzles that require very little problem solving capabilities beyond just like move at 90 degrees. Can I get where I need to go? No, move it back 90 degrees, kind of walk around a little bit, move it. Like it's a very, yeah, simple. It's a much more simplistic version of what you get with the other two divine beasts that we've gone with so far. Um, and I think that's just a direct result of the fact that there is only one thing you can do to change the landscape within, uh, Varudania, which is move it by 90 degrees. Um, I think like the most interesting part of this, uh, Divine Beast is the intro section where it is pitch black and you have to figure out how to, uh, in that pitch blackness, uh, navigate around to uh, light the torches and then open up the Divine Beast to get light in. I think that I, I had more challenge with that just because I didn't bring a torch and I didn't have anything that was flammable outside of my arrows. Right. So I had to lay down some campfires at strategic intervals to, you know, give myself some light and I would have to go. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I laid down some campfires to give myself some light and I would go try to find the nearest, um, torch that I could find. And I'd put a campfire directly on it, go back to the nearest blue flame and then shoot the blue flame over with an arrow. And so that was kind of how I navigated through the, the dark, portions of Varudania at first, which I thought was really fun. Yeah. Okay. So I think our thoughts are very aligned here. I also found the, um, the darkness section to be the most interesting part of this divine beast. And, um, I actually found myself wishing that it had been like a more present mechanic throughout this whole thing. I I almost wish that they hadn't given you the ability to open up the top. And, and I'll tell you why, not only from a puzzle solving perspective, but just from like a world building perspective, when you're out, when you're on the outside of Varudania, you're flammable, right? But as soon as you go inside, your temperature drops to normal as if you were like inside a shrine. And I think that's really, really cool that they're keeping the um, consistency of what the ancient technology of the Sheikah is able to do and why this Divine Beast specifically is so unique and awesome because it is designed to survive within the uh, environment of Death Mountain. Yeah. And like, I think it was really cool that they did that. And the way that they did was like, you're encased inside Varudania, which is why you're not in fire. Yeah. Like as soon as you open that up, you open up the top and let the light in. Like, why does the heat not come in with it? Like, that's some powerful AC. <laughs> right. Like, right. man. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. I think that a more interesting version of this divine beast for me would have been if it had one been bigger. And I think I can honestly say that about most of the divine beasts, but definitely this one. Valrudania feels very small. Very small. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, and I think that if you had had maybe four main sections of the Divine Beast interior and each one had to be illuminated in order to find the control console within it, I think that could have been really interesting. For sure. And it would have been a lot more of a fun and challenging way to do this. I will say that uh, in the darkness section, um, there are two chests in there. One has a dragon bone boko club and one yep. has a torch. And I mean – I definitely just like kind of dumped one of my swords that I didn't like as much and used the torch to do this. So I, I eventually ended up doing that for the Boko Club. I didn't find the one with the torch. I don't know how I didn't see the one with the torch, but I did that with the Boko Club because the there's a torch on the outside 
where you have to do some clever rotating and then, you know, maneuvering yourself so you don't slide down one way or the other. It's right. the, the, so the torch on the outside that gives you the, uh, the little, the glowy ball that you have to drop into the right, right, cauldron right, right, thing, right. right? So like it, you have to have a torch or a flammable object to carry the blue flame from the inside of Arudani to the outside. Uh, so I did also drop a random sword uh, that I had to grab the Boko club to use for my blue flame that okay. I then took up there. Gotcha. All right. But anyway, yeah, I think I agree with you that the puzzles that are in this divine beast require a lot less thought <laughs> than, yes. than some of the ones we've seen so far. Um, yeah. And it is disappointing because so uh, Varuta had the mechanic really cool where you have to adjust the angle of the trunk and the and the amount like where it's spewing water, right? And it has like five different positions that you can angle it at, you know? So it requires some trial and error to get it right. And then in Va Meadow, you can obviously um you can rotate the roll of Va Meadow, I think, three different ways. You yes, know? Yep. So there's a lot more there's a lot more control that you have over what the the divine beast environment is doing in those two divine beasts and in Varudania like you said you only have like one option you're either on a level or you rotate 90 degrees and i think that there's just a lot um there's a lot to be desired there in terms of like complexity of what doing that does to the divine beast itself i i don't know what the solution would have been I mean, if you could have rotated it 90 degrees two directions, that would have been cool, you know? Yeah, like, for sure. If you could yeah, if you could go left or right with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think that that's, I mean, that sounds like an easy solution to me. I'm not a game designer. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I think that that sounds like it could have been a little bit more fun, honestly. Um, yeah, I mean, I came away from Varudania feeling kind of like, so what, you know? It, exactly. Um, it, it was definitely... Definitely very easy. I would say that I've been more challenged by Rego Shrines in this game than I, by Varudania. Absolutely, totally agree. So that's definitely a little disappointing. Um, and then, of course, we get to the boss fight, which is uh, the um, Fire Blight Ganon, right? Yep. And Fire Blight Ganon is by far, bar none, the easiest of the boss fights in Divine Beast. <sighs> yes, absolutely. I think... No, yeah, no, I have no argument against that whatsoever. It's like, <laughs> I mean, what else is there to say? Like, I feel so bad because we get to these Divine Beast episodes and I just want to be able to dig into these things a little bit more than we've really been able but to. There's just not a lot there. There's not. And and that's really unfortunate. And again, comes back to my absolute primary complaint with this game is that the quote unquote main dungeons are just not that interesting. Yeah. They're, they're not that hard. They're not, they don't challenge you. Like they don't challenge you in a combat perspective. They don't challenge you in a puzzle solving perspective that they, they just don't present anything of stakes that is comparable to really any dungeon of any of the games we've played. Right. Like I would say even like the Deku tree dungeon in Ocarina of Time is in many ways far more challenging than any of the than any of the divine beasts that we have gone up well, against like it, it's just like what it's wild well, to me well that really puts things in perspective doesn't it i mean it, it, do you disagree if you're if you no, disagree, no 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 okay. i don't i i don't on i don't disagree on any particular point um yeah yeah 
I don't know. I guess there's not really much more to say about that, but yeah, I think that like for all of the um various blight Ganon fights, that there could have been a lot more there without a whole lot of you know difficulty and without making them you know damage sponges that you could have done a lot to just improve these fights. Even that though, so I'm willing to forgive some of the easiness around the the blight ganon boss fights just because when you look at it objectively a lot of the main zelda dungeon boss fights i would also say are not necessarily not necessarily that hard right um i'm thinking like you know king uh king dodongo yeah for sure or like and this is kind of similar to king dodongo with the whole do the sucking to make a big bloom and then you throw a bomb at it right it's it's a very similar type of mechanic it is i i see your point there i i guess i don't disagree with that coming off of coming off of skyward sword where we had Kalakdos. Exactly. Where we had some really excellent boss fights on top of excellent dungeons and coming into Breath of the Wild where you get neither of those. Right. <laughs> not exactly. excellent dungeons, not excellent boss fights. Yeah, no, in Skyward Sword, we've got like, we've got Kalakdos and we've got Tentalus and we've got Skaldera and like. And we've got Demise and we've got the. I like the Gear Him fights. I know you don't, but I do. Like, I just like, there's just, there is a breadth and a and a very different feel to every fight of with every boss that you get in breath in skyward sword and then you come to breath of the wild and it's like so this enemy uh you have to do the first half of his health just by stunning him hitting him then he does some semi unique thing that relates to one of your uh one of your uh Sheikah slate abilities uh, that stuns him and then you hit him sometimes and you maybe have to do that part twice and then he's dead. Yeah. Like, it's just not hard. Yeah. And I don't want it, I don't want it to be like hard, 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 but like, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit hard. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. I agree with you. Um, yeah. I mean, there you go. The divine beast Valrudania. I mean, like, <laughs> we have three sentences and we're out. Yeah. yeah. More or less. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say about this or Divine Beast generally before we move on to shrines? I will say that the, the um, environment design of the Divine Beasts is pretty excellent just in general. That is like it's chilling at the bottom of Death Mountain Crater. Yeah, like, it's, like, it's yeah, really is, cool. Yeah, the, the yeah. environment design of Varudania is really cool. And again, just coming back to I think Varudania is the most impressive of the Divine Beasts simply for the fact that it is designed to live within the caldera of Death Mountain and like be literally just fine with that. Yeah. For, you know, presumably eternity like it's pretty cool so uh huge impressive feat of engineering very well done environment design i think even the inside of the divine beasts it's like it's a different it's a little bit different than the inside of the shrines similar enough that you see the connections right but it is still different um and just that architecture that carries over between all four of the divine beasts on the inside is really fun and i do appreciate specifically in Rudania, the difference in environmental factors between the outside of Rudania and the inside and how that could potentially, if you're not, you know, doing what I did, which is just wear the flameproof armor all the time, uh, cause you to, you know, do a little bit of, uh, you know, gear switching or potion application or, you know, whatever. So I, I think 
there could have been a lot more here with very minor tweaks. Um, but prop credit where it's due environment design, music design, as Lyndon said, at least within the, you know, the, the death mountain, you know, ascent and, uh, caldera is, is good. So okay. credit where it's due. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough, I guess. Let's move on into the shrine diving section of part three, uh, where we analyze a shrine from this week, talk about why we loved it so much. And we've got the same one this week, don't we, Matt? We do, actually. We were we were on the same wavelength, Lyndon, and we didn't even try. We did not pre-plan that. We did not. This is going to be, of course, the Shoraha Shrine. The tagline is the Blue Flame. This shrine is accessible on the Isle of Rabak, which is a crab-shaped island in the middle of uh, Lake Darunia, right? Uh, yes? It's whatever lake the abandoned North Mine is, like, that adjacent is, to. That is, yeah. It's on the, like, northern edge of Darunia Lake. Yeah. Okay, cool. And so this one is a lot of fun because one, the easiest way to get to it is by using those sweet Temple of Doom bomb carts, right? I know, I love those. Like the the whole the whole mine cart thing where you stay sit and hit it and make it. Ah, it's really fun. Yeah, it's I like a, it. It's a great time. So you take the mine carts on the track all the way over to the Isle of Erbach, and there's that shrine in there. This one is the one where you are presented with a blue flame torch, and you've got to carry a blue flame through the entirety of the dungeon through several puzzles. Uh, sorry, I said dungeon. Pfft, shrine. Shrine. <laughs> what does that tell you, though? That this is like more fun as a dungeon experience. It, it than is absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, you've got to carry this blue flame through the entirety of the shrine. Multiple levels. The shrine itself is huge. Like I would say this is, I think, the biggest shrine we've come across, like as far yeah. as length. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, there's I would say there's four or five distinct sections and obstacles that you have to get through in order to carry this blue flame all the way to the top and get to the monk. Um, it's so fun because you've got to use so many different like abilities and skills to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And there are several different ways in which you can do it. Like if you want to carry this flame through the entire shrine using a torch, you can do that. If you want to get really clever using um, arrows, if you want to get some arrows lit with the blue flame, you can yep. light torches using that. Um, you can even throw the torch yeah. to, to hit stuff. Like I, I think I used predominantly arrows I used a lot just because it's easier to avoid like the water stuff mm, um, yep. which you know obviously you stasis the water spouts and that helps um, but there was one point where you've got the three water spouts it's actually very early in the shrine you've got two that are going one direction and one that's going one direction um, and the one that's going the opposite direction of the other two is also on like a very thin uh, piece of a walkway so you can't like go around it but you can only stasis one thing at a time so what i had to do was i stasis i actually I actually stasis the wrong one at first i didn't stasis the one over the uh thin walkway so i got up to thin walkway i was like well uh i can either like improvise or i can start over and instead i just tossed my torch at the at the <laughs> at the uh, whatever the what's it called Sconce? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The, bra- I, I, the, yeah brazier. the brazier. Thank you. Brazier's the word I was looking for. Uh, so I just, like, threw my my torch at the brazier. It was just, like, hoping for the best, and it ended up working out just fine. And I was like, yeah, victory. Yeah, so there's, <laughs> yeah, and, and then, like, the, the further you go in this shrine, you come uh, you come up against clusters of, like, multiple braziers that all have to be lit simultaneously. Otherwise, water will extinguish 
um, the ones like if you if you don't light them all at the same time, then yeah, that one's fun. Then water pours out and it it extinguishes the ones you've lit already, and it's like okay, crap. Clearly, clearly, I have to find some way to light all six mm-hmm. of these at the same time, um, and so you have to use some thought around that. Um, and the, the fact that they like they give you because you can't do a spin attack with a torch. Like if you try, it just like holds it in front of you. So yeah, you, you have to get that. Forest yeah, you have to get the forest dweller sword, sword that is in the shrine, which unless is made of wood, are, and you can, you can burn it. Yeah. So like, unless you have a boko club or a uh, forest dweller sword already, uh, you really are required to um, use that air pillar to you know glide over to that little outcropping, grab the forest dweller sword. I had to drop something to get the forest dweller sword, and then go back around. Like I thought that was a really uh, it was very, I don't want to say ingenious, but it was a it was a feat of ingenuity yes. to uh, to to force the player to do something to accomplish a specific goal that you couldn't accomplish any other way. So there's the one where it's three braziers that you have to light. There's, yeah. There's there's one that water cannot touch, and then there's two that water will come out of and and extinguish them. And so the yep. way the way that I did that is that I just um, I lit the one torch and left it lit. Yep. And uh, then I got in a line with the other two, and I strung a bow, and I shot a flaming arrow straight and lit both braziers at the same time. So what I did was I stasis one of the water spouts yeah. and lit that one first, and then lit the second one, gotcha. and, it, and it accomplished the same thing. Nice. But no, though, I like the way you did it. That's, that's smart thinking. My phrenic bow actually came in really handy in this shrine. I don't have one of those anymore. Mine finally broke, Yeah, and I'm very sad. So phrenic bow is a great thing to have around, especially for this sort of deal, because it's, I mean, it's the sniper of bows, right? Yeah. Um, and it's very easy to, uh, to hit distant targets without you know burning through lots of arrows trying to get the um the arc of the shot just right right um so yeah phrenic bow was big here and then yeah the final one is that you have to use your spin attack with a flaming something in order to get all of the braziers lit at the same time so yeah i really really fun shrine honestly the only thing i didn't really like about it is that and actually so it would you like to hear what my least favorite enemy in this game is i i would yes my least favorite enemy to fight in this game are the beefier guardians that are in some of these shrines not the test of strength guardians right the the little scouts yes and also not the not the wimpy ones that you can kill with like two hits there are some that are they'll have like middle of the road guardian weapons like spear plus or, yeah, uh, yeah yeah axe plus or something yeah but those dudes are kind of beefy actually and in order to kill one of them it actually requires a little like, bit of effort a little bit of effort and the breaking of probably several weapons and in this shrine, on master mode yes yes and in this shrine uh there are three <laughs> you get swarmed and they're all you get swarmed by them at the same time yeah like it's very annoying yes and i actually just i didn't even deal with them like i i I you kind just of ran past I, them? I ran past them and yeah, left them back in their little corridor where they hang out. Yeah, because it's not worth it. Like I'm right. not, I'm not gonna burn through half of my weapons to kill these three beefy guardians just to get like a an ancient axe plus or something. Yeah. So what I did for those was I had a, I still had a meteor um, scepter, meteor rod. Yeah. So they're actually those three guys are sitting on a flammable patch of. Uh, Leaves, leaves. Dead leaves. So yeah. I, I went in there and like before any of them woke up, I just tossed a meteor rod shot in there, and it's three, and they bounced around. They lit the ground on fire, and the, the three things ended up hitting, you know, at least one of them. And if they're on fire, they kind of sit there and spaz out. And so 
Two out of the three of them died with the fire before even moving. The third one that was closest to me ended up getting out, and but he was very low health, See, and so I was able to just like pop. That's him so once. frustrating because I lit the fire as well, and I would say that it took. I, th- I would say that it took off a sixth of yeah. each of their health. Master mode which versus then, not. Which master then mode. immediately came back. Because yeah, exactly. Of master mode. Yeah. Master mode versus not master yeah. mode. That's <laughs> again, I. I'm not gonna say I didn't enjoy master mode on this game, but it was not. It was not the type of challenge that I enjoy simply because I do not enjoy the weapon durability mechanic. And the weapon durability mechanic in combination with a health regeneration mechanic, in my opinion, is just... <laughs> okay. But I, I know you enjoy, I know you have no problem with weapon durability. I know you enjoy the challenge of master mode and the combat that that... I think that, like, for me, if I were to have significantly increased weapon durability on master mode to offset the health regeneration I think that would have been a much better combination of things but I almost feel like weapon durability is decreased on master mode I don't I don't know if that's accurate I think that might just be a emotional reaction to how much I dislike weapon durability especially on master mode but that, that's that is how I felt about weapon durability on master mode when I played through uh, this game on, on master mode it's just like I felt like like in two hits all of my breaking and it was very obnoxious yeah all right let's get into part four which is bloopy trails where we talk about something that diverted our attention from the main quest this week um i think i know you and i together did a big one we did indeed yeah uh matt and i both took possession of a home (laughs) we are now hylian homeowners which is very funny because i am actually going to be closing on my real life house on friday of this week so yep and i will actually be moving in with him so i will not even (laughs) be like an necessarily independent adult so like i don't know i'm I'm more i'm more financially stable in zelda than i am in my own real life so i guess yeah i'm gonna take that for what it is i'm gonna be renting a room to this guy here pretty soon so that's gonna be fun (laughs) We, we might go buck wild one day and record an episode at lunch that would be kind of fun <laughs> just let you know like some some lunch beers and, and an episode right be kind of fun yeah uh, one thing is for sure it's definitely going to be a lot less of a hassle for you to get to the recording table than that it is normally for sure is. and maybe we'll actually get to do a sacred realms after dark at some point in that time because we're not oh, going to be, be fighting fun. schedules yeah that'd be, that'd be a great time but anyway yeah so we both completed um the hylian homeowner quest and i don't know about you but i actually just went ahead and completely pimped out my house Oh, absolutely. That was uh, the, as soon as I finished, you know, building it. Uh, the annoying thing about that to me is you have to go back over and over again and listen to the builders go through their whole little spiel every time. Times. It is so annoying. <laughs> like the first two times I was like, yeah, this is, this is kind of charming and funny. After that, I was like, it is such let like let me a, skip this, please, dear God. It is such a, uh, a an antiquated game design thing that happens where like i I feel like i feel like most games these days if this was a mechanic in them they would say like okay if you want to purchase all the upgrades for your house just select them from this list and then we'll do them all at once exactly right? right and that does not happen um of course you do get some really cool decorations for your house that you can buy from uh uh bolson yep and uh, that does include uh, hangers for three melee weapons, for three bows, and for three shields, which is cool because um, I definitely don't like carrying around the almost broken champion weapons for this entirety of this game. That is absolutely accurate. So I end up just throwing them up on the wall. I actually have two out of the three champion weapons on my wall right now. 
Uh, yeah, as do I. And so, oh, I also have the, you know obviously the Rito bow on my wall yeah, as well. So yes, and three you, out of the four, and you can and you end up getting a bed that you can sleep in in that house, which is uh, which is really great. So yeah, I got the Hylian homeowner quest done. Um, that is the uh, last that we're going to hear of the Bolson Construction Company for a while. But of course, uh, we might be catching up with other former members of that construction crew at a at a later side quest in this game. Spoiler alert, Lyndon. My bad. So yeah, Matt and I both have nice looking houses now. Um, I didn't do too many other side quests in this section of the game. I do want to bring up a really fun thing. It's just a little, it's not even an Easter egg. Um, Breath of the Wild is one of those games where the mechanics and the physics of the world lead to so many cool little interactions of things you can do. One of my favorites is possible in Death Mountain, and that is the ability to fly around the map using the minecarts. I don't know if you knew this was possible. I've seen people do it. I don't know how to do it myself. It's easy. But. It's so easy. So there is um, there are several areas on Death Mountain where there will be one of those mine carts and then also some metal boxes laying pretty close by. Yeah. And you can take those mine carts off their track just by magnesising right. them. All you have to do is put a mine cart on the ground level. Uh-huh. And then magnesis a metal box into the minecart seat, like where Link stands normally. Right. Because the rules of this game say that you cannot magnesis anything you're standing directly on. Right. But if you're standing on a box on top of the magnesisable cart, then, then you can magnesis yes. the cart. And oh, that's so fun. And then what you can do, <laughs> it, it's it's tricky because you have to balance it correctly. It's a little finicky. But what you can basically do is you can use that to make the minecart fly. And you can actually I've done it before to where I've I've reached the vertical limit of the play space of Hyrule. Oh, yeah. What, what is that? What does that feel like? I mean, it makes it immediately uh, able for you to paraglide to any spot on the playable map. That's pretty cool. Like there was one time that I went to my beaten save game file. I was just like, I wonder if I can do this. I went up to Death Mountain, hopped in the flying mine cart like floated all the way up as high as I could in the sky and then just like hopped off and paraglided straight into Ganon's chamber in Hyrule Castle. And and it starts like the final cutscene. Well, that's fun. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's it's just so goofy. Um, But yeah, it's a really fun glitchy way to like traverse the map if you're into that. And I mean, Breath of the Wild is just that kind of game that encourages you to find those weird things that shouldn't be possible. Yeah, I know like Wes 3DP has shared a lot of his favorite glitches with us about like clipping guardians through the map by doing a weird combination of, you know, switching between runes and uh, explosive arrows and things like that. Well, the craziest so. ones to me are the, the the guardian trick shot videos. Have you seen these online? I have where they like they use stasis to launch something that then ha- somehow like launches a guardian across the map. Like, yeah, it's, but then it's while insane. but then while the guardian is flying across the map, they just they just let off one ancient arrow at the exact perfect arc and it nails the guardian's eye in midair while it's like flying. <laughs> it's it's nuts. It's wild. It's so fun to watch those videos. Yeah. Um, anyway, did you have any other bloopy trail items that you'd like to bring up? Here? No, I really didn't do too much uh, outside of the the main portion of this uh, quest and game because, like you said, it was one of the longer ones. Um, one note that I actually did want to call out specifically about the just the neat environment impacts that Breath of the Wild has. Um, as I've said before, I, I genuinely really love the uh, Fierce Deity Amiibo armor. Um, if you're wearing, and uh, as I do, 
permanently the fierce deity mask inside the uh, darkened area of Varudania, the eyes of the fierce deity mask are glowing white. Oh, they're that's cool. really cool. Yeah. So I think that was really cool. That was just something I noticed that was kind of bloopy trail ish. So, it's interesting. So another glowing item. Um, this is the first divine beast that I, this is not a bloopy trail. This is the first divine beast that I have done since acquiring the master sword. Mm. And so it, while Getting that 60 whopping 60 damage out of it. Yeah, right. Right. Fun. You get the master lightsaber. Um, yeah. <laughs> it yeah. does it glows. It gets yeah. it gets powered up and has a major durability bonus anytime that you are around Malice, a guardian, in a divine beast, or in Hyrule Castle. Yeah. Uh it is like Sting or Orchrist or uh you know, any of those other elven made swords <laughs> from uh Gondolin uh in Lord of the Rings where they glow when orcs are near. The blade glows blue when orcs are, are close. And, and it that is, and it's times like that, my lad. Glad. When you need to be extra careful. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um definitely definitely shades of of Gondolin there. But yeah, so that fun thing, not a bloopy trail. But yeah, take if you have the Master Sword, use it in Divine Beast. That's when it's the most useful. Absolutely. Cool. Let's get into part five, which is Z targeting, where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross. Matt, I'm going to let you go first. Yeah, so mine is actually the gate guard at Goron Village. Uh, I don't know if you ever talked to this guy, but it's very interesting. I did it completely on accident. Walked up to him, pushed A, and he goes, Welcome, Hylian Champion Link. It's good to have you here. And, like, you can go, what? How did you know that's who I am? Or something along those lines. And he goes, what do you mean? I just, like, I'm bored here. Uh, no one ever comes up here. I like to pretend that when I'm greeting travelers, the an- they're the ancient Hylian champion Link. Like, he doesn't <laughs> actually know that you're Link. He's just, like, pretending. And, like, this is a very, like, a weird interaction. Oh, that's awesome. That I thought was hilarious. So... So so many of the NPC dialogues in this game are just weird and quirky like that, and I love it. Like some, you know, some uh, some narrative designer who was working on NPC dialogue for this game just had a ball making all of these NPCs just be so oddball, goofy, and goofy. Yeah, um, yeah. That man, that's an obscure Z targeting dude. It was I, honestly like again of the three times that I played this game, never talked to this guy a single time, and this time I did, and I was like, what the hell? Like I didn't know the Gorons knew that I was who <laughs> right. I am, and. And then it was like, no, we don't. And then, you know, nobody else on Goran Village knows who you are, except for the boss who kind of gets an inkling after you beat the Divine Beast. And if you're wearing the Master Sword, he says something along the lines of, that sword looks a lot like the one that the ancient Hylian champion Link had. It's a very nice blade. You wouldn't happen to be him, would you? Mm-hmm. Dot, 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 dot. And then he laughs. He's like, ah, it can't be you. Ah, that's funny. And you're right, just like, yeah. You guys are just like kind of dense. So, yeah. No pun intended. Yeah, definitely. So I'm going to go with a much more main character. Um, My Z targeting pick for this week is going to be the Goron champion, Daruk. Mm, The ultimate of Jim frat bros in the positive sense. Yeah, you know, I like and it's not even that I love his voice actor much. I think that this voice actor did kind of like a middling job with the Mm. dialogue, you know, Um, somewhere somewhere between Mifa and Rivali. I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, I'd agree with that. But anyway, I, I like his personality so much. He's just such a nice guy. And this is actually borne out in a lot of the uh, memory cutscenes too, that you unlock, where a lot of the other champions are are very jaded in some ways. You know, Rivali obviously is kind of a bastard. And, right. you know, Urbosa is, you know, not, but mm. like, like definitely she's, much more. She's mostly just there for Zelda. Yeah, yeah. And much more guarded and not, not too super um, genial with link um, for sure. but Dar- daruk is definitely the big motivator 
of this crew, right? Yeah. He's uber positive. He's he's a go getter. He's ready to he's ready to do his bit for the team um, and to lift everybody's spirits um, in in doing so. So I, I really like all the memories that you have with Daruk because he's basically just the ultimate hype man. He really, really is. I just really appreciate his continued optimism while everyone else around him, including Zelda is just like their spirits are just like low and you can tell that their, their energy levels are just close to empty. And Daruk is just trying to, to just get everybody at least a little bit optimistic and, and just like pull them together and say like, guys, we can do this. Like we're the champions. It's going to be fine. Like we're all here together. And like, I do really appreciate that about his character as a champion. Right. Like I, I think that he really exemplifies what you would want from a champion right because Mm. you would expect that a champion of a race of people who are about to combat the greatest calamity of their time um would be a a person who is trying to inspire hope right and it doesn't feel like any of the other three champions are necessarily doing that you know two out of three of them or two out of four of them are not not doing that but they're just like not going that extra mile that daruk really is he's really trying to be inspiring with his with his optimism and his presence and I, I do appreciate that a lot for sure yeah definitely and i as much as i don't love yonobo as a character i do really like the moment um when so it's the cutscene after you beat the divine beast when daruk is piloting rudania back up to the uh, back up to the lip of the crater to take aim at hyrule castle and then yonobo catches a glimpse of his ancestor's spirit on the divine beast yeah i thought it was a fun moment i don't know it is a fun moment for sure it warmed my cold heart a little bit (laughs) it does and it also um like i think it serves as kind of his inspiration to take what uh you know obviously the gift that he has uh being daruk's protection and like kind of step it up a bit right like you're the descendant of the champion like right time to step it up stop being a coward and like do what your ancestor did and like I don't necessarily believe in like passing down responsibility from one generation to the next necessarily. But like, you know, in this case, you have a magical protection that (laughs) nobody else has. Like, you know, let's let's use it. I I believe in uh, passing down inheritance from one generation to the next. Yeah. How about uh, give me that money? How about monarchal power? You want to you want to go be a king? (laughs) I mean, uh, I don't think I don't think that they let you do that anymore. Yeah, I, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh. Awesome. Let's get into then part six, which is our final thoughts. Let's wrap up the Sacred Realms rundown for this week. Matt, in what way would you choose to uh, wrap this section of game up as succinctly as you can possibly do? So I think this section of game introduces us to the most severe and punishing environment within all of Hyrule, uh, Breath of the Wild. I think it is a really phenomenal um, accomplishment and achievement in not only environment design, but in physics engine and in uh, just design of an area overall. I think we get a lot of good shrines in this area. Um, there's some interesting exploration to be had, uh, some fun glitches that can be accomplished uh, via the minecarts and and other things within the area. Um I think that unfortunately this section of game culminates in just another not great divine beast, you know, potentially the weakest of all of the divine beasts um, with a less than satisfying boss fight. Um, We do get to 
you know, have some saving grace there with uh, a couple interesting quests to get us to that divine beast, uh, specifically the rescuing of Yunobo on the first part. A far less interesting, but not entirely grown-worthy escort mission. Um, but overall, I would say a solid section of the game that really shri- that really shines more with its shrines and environmental direction than it does in its uh, divine beast or uh, characterizations. Well done, as always, Matt. That does, of course, bring us to the end of the Sacred Realms Rundown for this week. We will be back next week with another installment of the Sacred Realms Rundown, in which we will cover another section of Breath of the Wild. We do not have another Divine Beast next week. We are going to be exploring the map just a little bit more, which should be a good time. You were correct, Matt. Our next episode... Chapter 9 is going to document our journey to the Akala region, which actually, um, even though it does not have a Divine Beast, has got a lot of fun stuff to find. Oh, there's so much fun. I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, exploring that whole region, starting the Terrytown quest, getting mm-hmm. our third great fairy. Got another ancient tech lab. Absolutely. Get some upgraded runes. Um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. It should be a fun one. Yep, absolutely. All righty. Well, I think we're ready to get out of here for this week. Matt, are you? Uh, what's your what's your play schedule going to be like for the next week? I think you and I both have got a few busy weeks coming up. So. I, it's going to be an incredibly busy couple of weeks. Um, I know that you know I've got one of my best friends' weddings is this weekend, and then uh, obviously there's a the moving situation with you and also with me, and so just you know I think it's going to be interesting to try to fit some of this stuff in. Uh, so stay tuned for what that looks like for the, the production schedule moving forward. But I think uh, we'll fit it in. We'll make it work. As we always do. Cool, cool. Going to be a fun challenge to overcome. If you enjoyed today's show and you'd like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it is not a problem. Five-star Apple Podcast reviews are an excellent free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy, Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at sacredrealmspod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on Breath of the Wild Chapter 9. We'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. Breath of the Wild can be played on the Wii U or the Nintendo Switch. In the meantime, though, may your hearts be full. May your arrows never miss. We will catch you all next time. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel in Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences. <laughs>